Welcome to the Sajcast. I'm Mark Austin. And I'm Stacy Roberts. And we, we are, are the, the Sons, Sons of, of Joy. Joy. You're listening to Sajcast number five. Our fifth ever Sajcast. And uh, good news, the Small Business Administration reports that 40% of all podcasts fail within the first five episodes. 40%? Yeah. Well, I think uh, 26% of all people know that you can make up a statistic to prove just about anything. And 80% of our listeners as well. So, today's SajCast, SajCast number five, is sponsored by the Lincoln Near Earth Asteroid Research Laboratory, also known as the Linear. Yes. And they are the people who bring you things such as potentially hazardous asteroids. They discover them. They don't make them because that's ridiculous. But what they do is they discover them close by our little lifeboat in the stars. How do we know they're not making them? Is anybody watching? I don't know what you would build an asteroid out of, but um, these are MIT scientists. They would know. Okay. Well, I'm hoping they're not doing that. I'm hoping that they do what they say they're doing, which is they are charting near-Earth space, which is still measured in millions of miles, and looking for what we like to call a planet killer, something that would pass by either too close or straight upon and end all life as we know. Yes. In fact, I think uh, they were the fine people who found uh, asteroid object number 23187, also referred to as asteroid 2000 PN9. Yes, and it's a fine product, and earlier this year, it nearly wiped us out. Last year. Last year, sorry. March of 2011, we were all nearly destroyed by 23187. That's right. And yet, you probably didn't know that. Exactly. And so... Here, what we're going to do is we're going to delve in a little bit into what Linear does and, and how they're expected to react to it because their mission is to find potentially planet-killing asteroids. So when they discover one, are they happy? You would imagine. Is there a celebration involving things that we normally celebrate with, such as cake? I, I know there's got to be some tea. <laughs> I found an asteroid that'll kill us all. Right. And I'm going to name it after my ex-wife. Yes, we're not going to put my name on that thing because, but again, we achieved our goal of finding something that is threatening all humanity. Yep, and the, the ones that get close, they don't, well, I guess they do measure them in miles, but their preferred unit of measure is a lunar distance. So that's for the folks at home, that's how close the moon is to us, which is more or less static, uh, with a little wobbling here and there, but then just carry that out. And so... This particular asteroid came within seven lunar distances, so between the moon and here, out seven more times. Yes. Uh, in the cosmic sense of things, that basically hit us. Right. And the good news is it's got a nice elliptical orbit. There's a good chance it'll hit us again later. That's right. The gift that keeps on nearly giving. <laughs> and so it, it does kind of delve into the archetype that we have as humans, that someday something will come along that we'll have no control over that will destroy all life on Earth. Think a flood, for example. Um, asteroids, also good. Uh, there's a lot of that going on in popular Pestilence. culture. Pestilence. Pestilence. Disease. Plagues. Um, political instability that descends into... Well, wait. Well, that wouldn't take out the whole planet. That's right. That would well, take off. Yet. It would take out the part of the planet that we don't like. Well, much like Armageddon, which leaves some <laughs> people left behind... But we're not talking about those things. We're talking about the end of life on Earth. And since 2012, the year, 
um, and the Mayan calendar prediction, there has been a lot in popular culture about the end of all life on Earth. And to be fair, there was a, a little bit about of it uh, in the 80s uh, during Reagan's tenure yes. with the Red Menace. But that was a very specific, it wasn't a, you know, vaguely uh, bird flu or, you know, right. cow brains or any of that. It was the Ruskies and there were nukes. Right. Which I put in the category of preventable. Yes. Yes. Don't fight, boys, and everything will be fine. An asteroid hurtling at us at a speed that only the people at Linear know. Um, you really can't do much about it. As my mother would say, and said often, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. Stace, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. That's exactly what that sounded like. And I'm going to have nightmares. And all, and all of you should, uh, knowing that 23187 is coming back around for another shot at us. That's right. Not in your lifetime, but eventually. It might also explain why there are so many superhero movies out, because if there is a potentially hazardous asteroid on its way, who really can save us without benefit of superpowers? Certainly not the folks at Linear. All they do is point and report. Ben Affleck. No. No? thought I saw a movie where he... I don't know. Maybe he didn't. He certainly didn't act well. Ah, anyway, so, yes, uh, today's sponsor... The Lincoln Near Earth Asteroid Research Laboratory, and our theme, Carpe Diem. Yes, uh, that's Latin for those of you who didn't take Latin in high school. I mean, seize the day. So on to current events, and this week we're going to stay away from divisive politics because let's face it, one thing that could conceivably unite the Democrats and Republicans and get them to work together would be an asteroid hurtling at us at an unmeasurable rate of speed. True enough. So, uh, given the theme of Carpe Diem, we're going to look at some things in the news that uh, kind of fall into that theme. To wit, you're setting about your daily activities with no sense at all that anything bad would happen, and then something does. And so, here we are. Uh, First, we have what we call Alligator Boy. He's not an alligator. He is clearly a boy, though. He was attacked by an alligator in Florida, and the alligator made off with part of his left arm. And uh, this also ties in a little bit with my ongoing feud with the History Channel, because he was both inspired and claims to have been saved by one of the History Channel's reality TV shows, Swamp People. So I think that it's the motivation that got him into the swamp in the first place, but then it taught him how to avoid an alligator attack and not die, and so he succeeded. So we have the History Channel to thank for providing him with the skills to escape, and the History Channel to blame for inspiring him to go spearfishing, was it? Yes. Spearfishing in a river outside of, well, of all places, Tallahassee, Florida. Where we used to go canoeing and encountered alligators many, many times, but escaped. Through clever steering maneuvers. And it was panic steering maneuvers. And, and no spear fishing on our part. That's right. But if this boy had been home watching the History Channel's epic nine-part series on barbarians, he would not have been attacked by an alligator. That's true. Yes. So... Alligator Boy woke up that morning hoping to get some good 
fish from the river. Yes. And he ended up like one of his paws. Yes. So, there you go. Carpe diem. The second item of interest, uh, thematically, is the very sad Comic-Con Twilight Death. Yeah, so for those of you tuning into the podcast, today being the 12th of July, that's the start of Comic-Con. And there were many interesting Comic-Con things that happened today. But one thing that happened, uh, I guess, last night that was not so good was um, a woman, uh, an older woman in her 50s, fan of Twilight, apparently. I'm not sure how that factored into the whole story. It was why she was at Comic-Con. Why was she was at Comic-Con? She was at Comic-Con to watch the seven minutes of the newest Twilight movie that's coming out that was available only to those who braved Comic-Con to see it. Well, I hope she got to see it first, because it turns out she was hit by a car crossing the street in front of the convention center and died. Died of her injuries. That's one of those things. You go to Comic-Con and... You know, how awesome is it going to be to do this and do that? And then you get hit by a car in front of the convention center. And it's all over. And I was in front of a convention center this week in Toronto, uh, although I was not hit by a car. But there you go. I mean, you're you're standing in front of the convention center wearing your badge, planning your next move, and then you're gone. Your eye is on the front door of the convention center and not anything that's hurtling at you. Well, let's, much let's like hope fun. it wasn't that. Yes. But yeah, in any case, that's that's the way that went. Right. So it's, it was bad news all around. And her. so for those children listening, is the theme of this week's Sajcast that death lurks around every corner and in outer space? Or don't cross the street in the middle. Uh, go to the crosswalk, wait for the signal, look both ways. And no also te- good? No texting. No texting while you... So I think that's what we had for current events. Uh, nothing real uplifting, spiritually motivating, um, unless it gets you to church. Maybe it's spiritually motivating in that way. We know that uh, the preponderance of giant asteroids in near-Earth uh, space might be just the sort of thing that sends you to church. Having you find religion, mm-hmm. wherever you lost it. Or some sort of comfort in the face of certain doom. True. Yes. Speaking of comfort in the face of certain doom, uh, those of you who are listening to the Sajcast are listening to the new and improved Sajcast feed. Our old feed was, it had to be put down like a dog with rabies. Yes, like that scene in To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. Or Old Yeller. Or any of a number of other scenes. Yes, well, something gone bad that needed to be destroyed in order to... Replace it with something better. Yeah, so the backstory here, um, as our project updates go, was that we had gotten, I guess, four four Sajcasts up. Um, well, no, I think we had... Well, this is number five. This is number five, but we had... Sort of landed. Uh, but I think the wheels came off of the apple cart when between episode two and three. Between two and three? Right, because we either had episodes one and two were up, and then... I was telling everyone I know, hey, I podcast now. Go get it. Look for it on the iTunes. And they said, oh, well, you started with episode three. I always oh, knew right. I always yes. knew you were a bit of an odd duck. And you didn't start with one. You started with three. And I protested without checking and say, well, clearly, Mom, you're an idiot because I started with one. And if you're only seeing three, well, it must be your fault. And then we went and checked after the fact. And there was only episode three there. 
On the iTunes. On the iTunes, right. Our RSS feed remained pristine, but if you can't get it on the iTunes, we had to do something about it. Yeah, so we tried to kerjigger it back into working. And in the process of doing that, we pissed off Apple. Well, yes, because there, there's only one way to get a podcast on Apple. You submit your feed, and they they review it, and then they send you an email saying, Congratulations, we have accepted your, your podcast. And it doesn't take all that long. Right. And, but the problem is you can't take it down. If there's something wrong with it or you need to fix it, you can't take it down. The only way you can take it down is to report a problem, which is what we did. And so a day later, we got an email that says, iTunes has removed your uh, podcast, whereupon for which you have reported a problem. And then the whole thing was gone. And that fixed the problem. Yes. From Apple's perspective. From Apple's perspective. And so we, having been given apples, made applesauce, and we redid the feed, changed the location, reposted it, and now that means that all the Sodgecast episodes are safely on iTunes. For now. For now. Don't report us. Yes. We'll try not to do anything to deserve reporting, but don't don't report us. Well, what if people are just not happy at all about our preponderance of our theme toward certain death? I would say use the Sodgecast page to send us feedback. That would be good. We enjoy feedback. Right. And if you're the kind of people who don't think that um, the fine folks at Linear, who are constantly on the lookout for whatever it is that's going to end humanity... Send it, drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. And it's too bad that this particular lab I was just thinking is in, in Moss. Because it, it'd be like, Ma, come here. Look, we got another one. But I was thinking it would be more humorous if there was an asteroid observatory around here. Because uh, yeah. it would be like, hill, hill. <laughs> Look, fellas, we got us another one. Who, this is going to kill everyone. By Satchcast number 10, we will have managed to offend every regional center of these United States. It is a goal. And everything that's in near-Earth orbit. Yes, Ruskies in the space station, we're talking to you. Mac, move the car, the asteroid's going to hit it. Not a good use of Linear's time. Yeah. And they might have scientists from places outside of Massachusetts, you don't know. Uh, well, anyway, so we have a new Sajcast, and this one's actually, as feeds go, a little easier to remember. That's right. So it's uh, feeds.feedburner.com. Sajcast? No. Or the other way around. It's Feeds. Dot, feeds.feedburner.com slash, slash Sajcast. There's a slash in there. Mm-hmm. But anyway, if you're listening to this, it's irrelevant. You've found it. Well done. Well, I think it's not entirely irrelevant because what we want you to do is go and tell other people about it and have them go find it. And we're hoping that that process for them is easier than it was for you, faithful listener. Yes. And you're delighted by our our antics here. And so you'd want to share. So, moving on to reviews, and keeping with our Carpe Diem and uh, Lincoln Near Earth Asteroid Research Center, or laboratory, um, I wanted to bring up a particularly interesting Kickstarter project, which I started... Uh, the Kickstarter thing last week on the uh, Sajcast number four. And I thought I might recur to this particular site, um, perhaps weekly, because there's lots and lots of interesting um, Kickstarter projects that are out there. And so this one actually caught my attention 
And I thought it would be fun to share. And this was actually before we knew we had a Doom-themed podcast. And that was a theater project in Los Angeles, California. The project is a musical. And I know how you love musical theater. I really do. And this musical is called Disastroid. So right there, you probably have some sense of what we're talking about. It's... Uh, musical about the end of the world. There's kind of a movie about the end of the world in an asteroid sort of way involving mm-hmm. Steve Carell and uh, Kira Knightley. Yes, Kira Knightley from Pirates of the Caribbean and many other fine films. Um, and anyway, so rather than talking about that film today, which we thought was just too obvious, also we haven't seen it, we're going to talk about Disasteroid, the musical. The musical. And so the uh, the idea here, of course, is to uh, produce a musical, and they're uh, hoping to get this off in August, so that would be awesome for them. That's right around the corner. And looking at this, they um, I'd say they're about halfway to their goal. Today they have 23 days remaining, and they have $876 pledged towards a $1,500 goal, so that's a rather modest goal. Seems attainable. Yeah, sixteen backers, and I think if the uh, if our listeners thought that it would be a great thing to see this asteroid come to life, they could go out there, and uh, for a buck you can get your name in the program, which you could tuck into your your uh, jacket pocket, and when the cooler weather comes around, you'll be out on a date, and you can pull it out and go, "Hey, baby, look, my name is inside of this." Hey, I produced a play. I was part of the creative process. And if you don't live in Los Angeles, that's okay. They'll still take your money. So let's see, what else could you get? Uh, for $10 or more, not only will your name appear in the program, but we'll, oh, they'll spice it up and give you a specialized nickname. There's one in there that I think is particularly funny. Uh, there's Zach the Shark, which is, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. But Jim Ohio Custard. I'm not even sure what Ohio Custard is, but it sounds cool. Yes, and I'm wondering, in that vein, who specializes in nicknames? Do you volunteer your own, or do they make one up for you? I'm assuming they're making one up for you. I'm going to give them 10 bucks just to make them a nickname. I, just, I pay someone $10 to make me a nickname. But wait, let's go on. What do you get if you pledge $25? Uh, well, you get all of the above. So you get the, the $10 nicknaming. You get the name in the promotional, or the brochure, and access to exclusive download of the demo recordings of the show. So this is... Those of you who maybe aren't in L.A., like us here at Studio Z, we can listen to it over and over again, memorizing the lyrics and singing along with the actors during the performance in the way that we love to do, in a Gilbert and Sullivan sort of way. Exactly right. So, uh, future Sajcast spoilers. We may be singing show tunes from Disasteroid. Yeah, da, 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 da. Or maybe not. Yeah. And uh, I think if you go up from there in the $50 and $100, you get uh, tickets and more good stuff. If this comes to pass, the musical will be performed by uh, the Bicycats. Am I saying yes, that? Yes, that's right? what that looks like. The Bicycats. So uh, if you pledge 500 bucks, I mean, if you're just that dedicated to theater, um, one of the Bicycats will write a song under your direction. So you can tell them that you want a disco song about chinchillas taking over Swedish Parliament. Which sounds like something we might have recommended they do, actually. Yes. Although it does sound like a, just a bunch of phrases knitted together and 
Take oh. that, music producer. Take that, songwriter. Well, one of the other things they suggest here is, I would like a country song about tickling an alligator to death. Now, I didn't, I didn't get as far as the $500 pledge. That was a little steep for me. But I thought that it was funny that we could tie in our alligator of earlier with the, uh, the disasteroid themed. Wait, they have to rename this Sajcast series of happy accidents. <laughs> Indeed. As long as we get through the day. That's right. So anyway, if you're interested, check out the link. Uh, we wish the, the folks that are going to produce, uh, Disasteroid well, the, the Bicycats, if, if that's the correct pronunciation of your name. If it's not, the Sajcast apologizes. Uh, informally now and by affidavit later. Yes. So moving on from there, um, I'd like to jump back briefly to current events to mention that it's not as hot today as it was the last time we recorded a Sajcast. The uh, the heat wave here, in at least in Studio Z's part of the world, has broken. And today, uh, I was told on the news, is the first day in 14 days that we didn't break 90 degrees uh, so we stayed below 90 for the first time in 14 days. And we're proud of it. In the Midwest, we focus on small things yeah. and elevate them to the heroic status. Look what we've done. Indeed. We had a number of days, uh, like seven of them, I believe, that were over 100 each day. That was quite hot. That was not fun. And that's the sort of weather that makes you just want to find a movie theater because it's dark and air-conditioned. It's a popcorn stadium. And just curl up in a corner and watch whatever the heck comes on. Now, again, this is not a criticism. Much like my diatribe in previous Sajcasts about how you get to travel the world and eat all kinds of bizarre foods in many different locales. When it gets above 100 degrees, my children say to me, Dad, you must come outside. In the heat. <laughs> We're going to be in the pool. Why don't you sit on the deck and slowly roast to death and watch us? You go to the movies. And then you tell me about it. I'm sitting on the deck, baking, wild-eyed with delirium from the heat. And I read my text, and it says that you're at the movies, hiding out from the heat. And I say, oh, what a good idea. And I say to my children, children, I think I'd rather not die on the deck today and go to the movies instead. And they say, no, Dad, stay here with us. So you got to the movies, huh? Excellent. Well, How'd that go? And as did you. I did, that's true. But I went at nighttime when it wasn't so hot. <laughs> I, went, I went to the movies... Pointlessly, I was Pointlessly. achieving. I was achieving only entertainment and snacks. Oh, from a, a thermostatic. Yes, level. I was <laughs> not there to seek refuge. I was I merely going to see a movie and eat snacks and spend time with Erin, my youngest daughter, because she loves the movies. And she and I have been going to movies together since she was very small. When I took her to see Lord of the Rings, um, and uh, she likes the big epics. And so we'll get to that in movie reviews. We'll tell you all about what we saw. And, um, and what kind of snacks we had. Yeah, and we are, well, I guess we are in movie reviews. And it, it's true that I did escape the heat uh, with a midday Saturday showing of uh, Spider-Man, which I know you saw, Amazing mm -hmm. Spider-Man. And that, I just wanted to say, is really uncharacteristic of me. I don't enjoy going to the movies midday or in the evening when there are, what's the word, people about. People. Yes, I don't enjoy my fellow movie-going patrons by and large. They're a, they're a texting, talking, farting group of folks that I could do without. Yes. So, as a habit, what I try to do is... So you're sitting here thinking, an asteroid? 
Hmm, that'd be all right. That'd be all right. <laughs> let's, uh, let's not rule it out, sight unseen. Exactly. Let's get the folks at Linear to categorize that thing. Tell me how close it is. Tell me how fast it's going and see how many of my fellow humans who annoy me might get wiped out. How many lunar distances are we really talking? That's right. Um, yeah, so my, my general goal, if I see a movie, is the uh, kind of the first showing on a Sunday morning is my goal, if I can do that. Like so, should be in church. Yeah, the t- yeah, 10.30, 11 showing, if I can get there, that's ideal. It's me and a few blue hairs, and if they mouth off, I'm a big guy. I, I intimidate the blue hairs into being quiet and listening to the movie. You grown-ups, you. <laughs> Pay attention! <laughs> no one cares about your arthritic hip. We've heard it all before. Get it replaced with something nice and titanium, and then you can be like Iron Man, who's on the screen right now, monologuing about shawarma if you just be quiet. Ah, uh, shawarma. I did see some... I was in Toronto earlier this week um, at a convention, as I mentioned, and, and I did pass a number of shawarma restaurants, and I couldn't help but think of the end of Avengers. Yes, I was just throwing it out there because you get to travel and I don't. And, and they do have uh, a fair bit of uh, people there who make shawarma, much more so than we do around here. Yes. Um, anyway, so, uh, so, but this weekend, or, or, or the past weekend, there were two instances where I got to the movies, um, both sort of at an uncharacteristic time for me, both midday. Um, and the first one that I wanted to talk about was Bernie. Bernie is probably a movie that many of you have not heard of. Had you heard of it? No. In before fact, before I mentioned it, no, I had not heard of it, and I believe that if you had uh, told me you were going to see it, I would have answered most enthusiastically. Well, I can't. I'm on my deck drinking a great big cup of heat stroke. But go on. My feet have melted to the floor. I yes, cannot go. I can't possibly go. I can't find shoes that will work with puddles of feet. And I believe uh, the plan was actually to go see Finding a Friend for the End of the World. Exactly. That was actually the plan. Um, and we went to, uh, what would we call this, an indie theater, an art theater. This is the place that plays movies like Bernie that you've never heard of. And they do have uh, major run stuff, but they're not tied to any of the big franchises. So they end up with the artsy movies. Um, they also had um, Moonrise Kingdom uh, that sort of stuff. So you you have one in your town, no doubt. You know the sort of theater that I speak. Uh, the former, what used to be the Main Street Theater. Every small town in America had a small yes. theater on Main Street with a the marquee, the two sided marquee, and you know, each showing was on either one. And and, uh, and yeah, so the, a lot of those remain, and they've been converted into this sort of theater. And and I'm here to say that they're worth having in your town, um, if for no other reason than in my experience, these are the places that say. Would you like butter on your popcorn? And they mean butter. They mean something that came from a cow. Not an oily butter flavored topping. Well, we're not in food porn yet. Ugh, sorry. I was getting there. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, so my girlfriend and I went out to go see Finding a Friend for the End of the World. Uh, and we got to the theater, or we stopped for lunch in the neighborhood apparently just miscalculated how much time we were going to have, and we found that we had a great deal of time. We had a surplus of time. We were both of uh, German ancestry, and uh, combining that just puts us overly punctual to the point where we were there a good hour before the movie was going to start. And it was... In the proud Germanic tradition of someone who says, Helmut, they're showing something on the screen. We should just go. 
Well, yeah, this was back to before do the heat wave broke. To do otherwise would be to waste time. Well, it would have been to waste time and swelter and melt and get all drippy and not in a fun way. So uh, we looked at the the marquee, and I think there are really three theaters in there, although realistically two of them, I believe, were converted from other purpose rooms, like maybe a bathroom. <laughs> Seriously, this is a tiny theater. It may have held 25 people. I mean, ridiculously small. But they do have the one that you described, which is a little larger, which was the old town theater. Um, anyway, so being there as early as we were, we looked on the marquee and saw Bernie was playing, and my girlfriend being extremely cultured, uh, knew all about this, and I knew nothing like you, and like many people, I knew not what Bernie was about. And so I was like, okay, let's let's do that. I saw that it had Jack Black in it. I'm like, ah, that's enough. That's yeah. good enough for sure. me. To get to the movie, <laughs> eventually, um, what Bernie is about, <sighs> to, to lean back on my my liberal arts degree, I wasn't sure how to categorize this movie. So what the movie's about is about a guy named Bernie, and this is a true story, um, murdered a woman in a very tiny town. Kind of the story of how all that happens is what the movie's about. And so I wasn't completely sure if this was a flat-out movie or some sort of documentary blend. Because what they did was they shot the movie in Carthage, Texas, which is in East Texas. And there's six parts of Texas, which I won't get into here. They categorize them very neatly. But this is East Texas. And the people that are in the movie um, save Shirley MacLaine, uh, Jack Black, and Matthew McConaughey, who I have to say, if he hadn't spoken, I would not have believed it was Matthew McConaughey. I mean, the makeup was impressive. It did not look like him at all. And if you had said, hey, that's Matthew McConaughey, I would have squeezed all the men in your face and said, you're full of it. Uh, but anyway, besides uh, those characters, pretty much everyone else was a townsperson from Carthage. And so colorful doesn't begin to, to give you the palette to paint these folks. Um, and so they would be interviewing people and saying, you know, uh, what'd you think about Bernie? And it wasn't clear to me at all. And I suppose if I researched this, I probably could get the answer. But just having watched it, I wasn't sure if they were talking about real Bernie or if this was a script and they were reading it. Because some of these people, you know, were were not in the guilt. <laughs> they were not carrying cards, at least before the movie. <laughs> Maybe they do now. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, clearly townspeople. And so it was really interesting to try to sort out whether this was, you know, uh, script or, or real life. Um, and for those of you who might be interested in seeing it, I'll, I'll give away the ending. Uh, Jack Black did it, which isn't really giving away anything. Uh, that's just part of the story. Uh, spoiler alert. No, but the uh, the story is that Bernie was a very sweet, mild-mannered funeral assistant, mortician. And he helps put people in the ground, and this is his joy in life. He loves going to church, and he loves prepping the bodies um, so that, you know, they can be received unto the Lord and all that in a very East Texas sort of way. One of the things that he enjoys doing was going uh, to the widows, uh, generally speaking, in East Texas. The men drop off first. Yes. Probably the barbecue. I don't know. Could be. Or standing around out in the heat. Mm. But but in any case, one of the things he really enjoyed in life was going to the widows and just uh, consoling them 
more than perhaps the job required. So going after the fact, bringing them flowers and just wishing them well, buying them chocolates, and giving people gifts. He was a big gift giver. So he spent all of his money, basically, buying people gifts and just trying to make friends with people and um, recently bereaved people. Well, and, and the town people in general, oh, okay. but, but especially, specifically, yeah, the, the bereaved. And well, let's see, what else? And he was a big leader, I guess, in the civic community there. So he was an out-of-towner, but he moves in and, you know, gets well accepted. He has a beautiful singing voice. He sings at church. He sings at the funerals. He sings in the school plays. If they were going to do Disasteroid, the musical, Bernie would be in it, for sure. Absolutely. So, um... What happens is that uh, Shirley MacLaine's character, who's Mrs. Nugent, she, uh, well, her husband passes, and her husband is exceedingly wealthy, has some money from uh, gas, gas fields in the area, and so it's a nice recurring uh, amount of money, and Mrs. Nugent is really not nice. I mean, she is a bitter, hateful old woman. And the whole town hates her and would love to see her have taken her husband's place. Don't like her at all. But that doesn't stop Bernie. Bernie works extra hard to win her over. And they form, on the surface, a fast friendship. Perhaps more. Although it's there's certainly the overture that he is homosexual. Uh, but that wouldn't get in the way of a 30-year-old man and a 65-year-old woman right. having a lifelong friendship. And so eventually they become very good friends. Um, they become confidants and traveling companions and are essentially inseparable. And this goes on and on. Uh, he becomes, you know, part of the will. And you kind of get a sense of where all that's going. They have a good time in the beginning. And then she starts to become the person she was earlier, which is mean, hateful, controlling, angry. And pushes his buttons over and over. He doesn't have a life of his own. She basically gives him all these things to own him. And he just flips out one day and uses the armadillo rifle and shoots her four times in the back. Wow. Um, And so this is a true story. This happened. The interesting part of the story is that after she dies, he doesn't exactly confess. In fact, he puts her in a freezer and moves on with life. So she was an older woman, and it wasn't too hard to tell people, ah, she had a stroke, um, she can't see right now, she's not feeling well, she's poorly, we put her in a home in another part of East Texas, whatever. And besides, she was an evil, nasty woman. Well, there's that. Do you miss her? <laughs> Do you want her back? Um, but what he does in the meantime is all this income that's coming in he spends it like a madman in his fashion, which is not so much on himself as the town. And so he finances a number of small businesses that would never have been there otherwise, a trophy shop on Main Street. Um, you know, he buys swing sets for little kids for their backyards and just basically make friends everywhere. And, of course, this goes on for a long time. Until, of course, one day someone realizes that, you know, she hasn't been seen in a long time, a really long time. And, of course, you know, being the mean person she was, her folks or her kids didn't miss her. They weren't speaking to her anyway and all that. But, um, yeah, it comes to pass that eventually they search the house, they find her in the freezer, and then the trial ensues. And I'm not going to give away the ending. 
Um, you can go and see it. I, I do think it was it was an enjoyable movie. The the trial ends up being moved out of Carthage, not because of the bias that one would normally move a trial for, which is everybody's already said this guy's guilty. They all love him so much that he couldn't possibly be guilty, and so they have to move the trial out of town and uh, and try him there. And uh, they try him for first-degree murder, which, at least in the way the movie portrayed it, wouldn't seem right, because it did just seem like a spur-of-the-moment thing. Right. But uh, anyway, so uh, that's Bernie with Jack Black, Shirley MacLaine, and uh, Matthew McConaughey. And almost completely unrecognizable Matthew McConaughey. Uh, almost completely unrecognizable. And the delightful people of Carthage. I just want to, when the weather cools down, I want to go to Carthage. Not, not this week. Not this week. Maybe in the fall. But, yes, because you're going to be sitting there saying, this is nothing like the movie, because I remember that while the movie was going on, I was blissfully cool and, <laughs> and, and temperate, and East Texas is kind of like the backside of hell. And they did, I mean, it was just an, a beautiful portrayal of Southern life. And being a Southerner myself, I have to say, I thought they did it just perfectly. Uh, the product placement, if you can believe it, was for Big Red. <laughs> not coke every time mcconaughey grabbed his soda big red was facing the right way i was like look at that awesome uh big red is a cherry cola in the south if you're not from the area um you probably can't get a hold of it but uh, yeah it's just part of that uh you know lottery ticket buying smoking and uh drinking the big red it's very uh very delightful portrayal of the south but moving on from uh Bernie, let's talk a little bit about the amazing Spider-Man. Ah, yes. Well, and here's how I ended up at this movie. My oldest daughter has, has landed a lucrative babysitting gig, and so she is often away at night, and she has left her sister alone, which I consider to be a preview of what life's going to be like when she goes away to college. And Aaron wanders around the house wondering who's going to feed her and entertain her. <laughs> and um, I say, but you have parents. Which she reminded me of the day before the 4th of July when she wanted to go see The Amazing Spider-Man. And I was tired and didn't really want to go. But uh, my history of seeing movies with her is long and storied and I wouldn't pass up the opportunity. So we leaped up, drove to a movie theater, and uh, watched this movie. Um, and this was an evening show. An evening show. I went to the movies at night. I know it sounds weird. And this was nearly on, well, within a day or two of the open, right? Yes. Yeah. It was pretty close to the opening, which I generally also don't like to do because, well, it's crowded. Yeah. And there are, you know, you're there with your child and you're trying to protect her from unsavory folks. Um, but anyway, the, the, the theater was packed. Um, we sat close to the screen, so it, we weren't immediately besieged with people, but eventually they showed up as they always do. And... Um, on to the movie. I think when we were talking about this in pre-production, we were wondering why this movie got made. Yeah. I mean, other than the fact that they can make well, it. And I why think did they make it? Right. I, I, I'm having a sense that there's a backstory of all kinds of legal wranglings and copyrights and, and um, things of that nature. But the, the question in everyone's mind is, is that it's the Spider-Man foundation story. How he got his powers again, again, and what he did with them again. Okay. And I mean, we introduced a lizard. Spoiler alert! Yes, there's a different kind of green thing in this one. Yeah, so there's that. I mean, at the highest level, there's we had a new villain we had to add to the mix. Right. But 
think, and I saw this as well, uh, thinking in terms of unnecessary, uh, as opposed to the whole movie, certainly the first 40 minutes were unnecessary. Right. I mean, do we really need the backstory again? Are there any people, you know, in the Western world that don't know Spider-Man was bit by a spider? Right. Well, and it's not that one singular foundation moment necessarily that's the the appeal of Spider-Man is the appeal of Peter Parker. It's the, who is this guy before he becomes a powerful superhero? And, well, they tell it again. Yes, and, and I have to say, I really didn't enjoy the casting of almost anyone in the movie. Right. Uh, but especially poor Peter. Uh, because poor Peter didn't seem at all like poor Peter to me. He seemed like a rather tall, rather muscular contact wherein had his crap together pretty well. Again. And he had the stylish hair. Yeah, in the beginning. I mean, other than the fact that he, he is really too skinny to be human, um, he wasn't exactly an underdog. And the Spider-Man Foundation story is about an underdog who triumphs. And it seemed like he was already most of the way it did seem that way. And so that was that was one one detractor from my enjoyment of the movie. Plus I think my daughter thought he was cute. And you oh. know and you know how that makes me crazy. That will detract from a movie. Because then you have to find yourself sitting there saying, "Well, I suppose in a certain light um he is a bit dreamy." Well, you had Gwen Stacy to amuse yourself. I didn't eat. So there's that. Yes. I I suppose she was I don't want to say a bright spot in the casting, but... Uh, well, but she's a good actress. She she And she did hit the... I mean, in terms of matching up with the comic book, she did a great job there. Or she just is a great match. I don't know. But, yeah, ridiculously long bangs. <laughs> right. Perfect. Yeah, one of the things I thought was odd, uh, I mean, not to get nitpicky, but, you know, the whole, hey, Oscorp makes a neat steel webbing that you could probably take a pocket watch and integrate it in there and have that all work out for you. So that was, you know, it's interesting to see the non-organic web shooter, but I, I missed the, the idea that, you know, Peter was a scientist because on the surface here, he was a student of science and he obviously had some tinkering abilities to be able to do that. But, you know, he finds the formula, the double O formula, the not not formula, you would not, not have given it away. You know, and it's like a Prometheus story. You know, he's playing with fire. He doesn't know what he's getting into. And that didn't seem to to fit the Peter Parker I enjoyed. Right. Uh, but anyway, he moved on to uh, fight a lizard. Yes. And, and I mean, let's talk about what's good about the movie, right? Yeah. The effects were good. Oh, yeah. Um, the action was good. Um the acting, the the actor who played uh, Dr. Kurt Connors was quite good. Uh, as we mentioned before, Gwen Stacy was good. Uncle Ben was all right. Uncle Ben is the... You gotta uh, like the Sheens. The unimpeachable Martin Sheen, uh, who is good in nearly everything that he does. True. And so... <laughs> Except in making Offspring. <laughs> well, who are we to criticize? Well, as an actor... Let us got Emilio, the, right? There's Emilio. As an actor, Martin Sheen is an asset to any cast, and as soon as I saw him, of course, I had to say, holy hell, it's the president from the West Wing. <laughs> Why is he slumming in New York? But there he was. That's and he had the, the presidency. He had the Uncle Ben hairdo. Yeah. You know. But, um, 
But so, so there were aspects of that uh, that was good. The, the you know the cinematography was good. The effects were good. The story just we we felt like we've seen it before. And like anything else, anything that fits within a genre, as we've talked about on the Sajcast before, if you're going to do something within a genre, and this is as tight as it gets, right? Oh, yeah. You are you are for, not just in the genre, but you're essentially remaking the movie. It has to be better. Yeah, I mean, you have to be pitch perfect. And what occurred to me after having watched this and trying to explain the um, my reservations to my girlfriend was, and, and she is not a, a tremendous fan of comics, not a comic hater by any means. I uh, got her to read the new Dead Guardians. That was awesome. Uh, but, you know, not a comic book geek by any means, was that uh, the things that I was disturbed by disturbed her a lot less. Not that she saw it, but just in my explanation. And it occurred to me that this movie isn't for comic book geeks. Right. It's made for the widest audience possible. Absolutely. And as Hollywood has taught us again and again, explosions don't require translation. You know, uh, if you take... Moonlight Kingdom, and you try and make that, or, or Moonrise Kingdom in, you know, Chinese, it's a hard sell. But kaboom, guy in a mask, guy who's a lizard, eh, easy, right? Right. So that's what that's what the you know the movie world wants is big hits, big dollars, and I'm sure it will do well for them. It, it had a solid opening. I don't think there's any risk of it falling apart anywhere along the way. Right, and as a movie goes, I mean, technologically speaking, technically speaking, uh, with the quality of the cast and the acting and all of that, it's better than a lot of movies that were out. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could certainly make a worse Spider-Man movie. That's Absolutely. Right. Yes, but I would like to see them make a good something else movie. Yes. I would think. That would be my... My preference would be for... Pick a, pick a new subject matter uh, and do it properly and well. Not like Daredevil. No. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's certainly quite a few titles that are out there that, that could be turned around that way. Um, Avengers clearly showed us that it's possible to make um, um insanely successful box office hit and still appeal to the hardcore fans. Right. And and I think that's, ultimately, that's the successful uh, criteria. Well, it may, be, it may be unfortunate that it, the Avengers movie raised the bar just in time for <laughs> the Spider-Man movie to slide under it. Yeah, well, and and not to speak for comic fans everywhere, but you know, I think my my judgment was competent, um, somewhat unnecessary. Right, I'd agree with that. And you know, well, we've got a summer. We got to have some some sort of big hits in there, and so now we have, uh, I guess, Batman to look forward to in the uh, big action. I think that's about it. We've run through Avengers, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, right. Spider Man, and all those big fun kabooby movies. Uh, anyway, so that was um, our take on uh, the summer movies, or, or at least the ones that are out now and abouts. And that means we should spin up the theme for Waka Waka Food Porn. Alright, so I'll, I'll let you go first this week, uncharacteristically of me, and tell us the Best thing you ate this week. As luck would have it, it was fairly recent. Within <laughs> the last couple of hours. Fresh in your memory, if not in your gullet. Uh, yes. Um, we, in pre-production, 
had dinner at Amerasia, which is an Asian restaurant uh, not far from Studio Z in Covington, Kentucky. Walking distance, you might say. You might say that. And um, it is quite good. Uh, it is, uh, like many of the establishments around here, it is a restaurant in a building that very likely, 100 years ago, was some sort of bar. Yes. I mean, it's certainly a building that was standing 100 years ago. That's right. A very much narrow... Like, much like Studio Z. Much like Studio Z itself. And so, let us cast about and look at it, but it is a very narrow building. Yeah, brick, brick construction. That's right. So, two big brick walls on, you know, running parallel. Right. A, a narrow intermediate space, and basically what it does is it's kind of like a tunnel from the sidewalk out front to the parking lot out back. Right. And so, not a lot of room. A it's railroad a, apartment, actually, is what they were. Yes. Yeah. And so, in a restaurant... In order to get a health department approved kitchen, that takes up a lot of the space in the back. Indeed it does. And so in this particular case, in this restaurant, much like our friends at Whackburger and some of the other local establishments, the room for seating isn't exactly luxurious. <laughs> no. They do tend to crowd you in. And, and, and there's a bar. Just and there's to a bar. really take some more space out of the way. Right. So this, this uh, restaurant ends up being about, uh, there are five or six square tables that seat uh, four people. Yeah, and there were four against one wall, and then there was a uh, two pushed. Top, yeah, two yeah. pushed together. And what it means is, is that in a in a town where most people come in in twos, you either end up sitting two people at a table for four, or you end up sitting with people you don't know. And so that's the thing I don't like about it. Here's why I keep going back. The food is incredible. <laughs> it's right down the street. <laughs> no, that's not why. Because no. I recently got a car, but the. Um, the food is excellent. It is it is handmade by people who know what they're doing. Chef Chu. Yes. It tastes really good. And, um, well, and this is food porn. Do you, want, do you want complexity? Of course not. We don't have complexity. The food's great. And, uh, well, before you get to your, your menu, I, I was going to back up a little and kind of pan around the establishment because we gave the sense that it's narrow, which it certainly is. Um, and it's also, uh, how to say this without making it seem derogatory, uh, it's a hipster joint. and But not in a bad way. Not in the really irritating hipster way. Um, it's just hipstery. All the posters on the wall are of campy, I guess, 60s, 70s kung fu movies. Kung fu movies. Um, and they have, apparently, they're running Netflix up on the TV, and it's always running... Kung Fu movies from somewhere from the Netflix queue. Right. Generally, um, not even subtitled sometimes. They're the just ones today were subtitled. Yeah. Uh, but I've seen, I've been there where we didn't even have subtitles. And they uh, and they use the Wii to play that in a very hipstery sort of way. Of course they do. <laughs> um, and what else? There's uh, the tables that I know you thought were oddly shaped given the space. And, and it's true. Um, they're glass topped. I don't know if it's... I don't know if it's the staff or the people who go there, but the edges of the glass are all stuffed with um, fortunes, fortunes, the the paper from the fortune cookie. Right. And um, there's kind of a an underlying, um, like a shelf, shelf. So it's like with magazines, can... like a magazine shelf. Sure. Yeah. But they also put a fish bowl with the betta fish in there. Yeah. And he's not an appetizer. You made that clear. Good to know. Good safety tip. He is very fresh, but <laughs> but no. Um, yeah, so it's it's brightly colored. It's fun. They have an excellent bar selection, and they'll have deep 
meaningful philosophical conversations with you around ale and you know whether you are a wheat beer person or whatever they're all up and down the bar they've they've got a highly competent staff there but this is food porn so what exactly did you order we started off by ordering chicken wings because on one of our prior visits we thought those had turned out pretty well they did and so um again they took a little longer because they had made them right then which i one of the things I appreciate about a good chicken wing is that it was made recently, and preferably out of chicken. Um, but they were gigantic, they were tasty, and it was a good starter to the meal. Yeah, um, and this is not a hot wing or anything. This is a no. traditional, well, I know it's traditional, but uh, kind of a wok-fried chicken wing with some Chinese spices and not much else. I mean, not much they're pretty else. simple. Right. And the simplicity of, of their food is really the best part. It's It's straightforward. It tastes like... What it is, and it's not just yes. doctored up. So, the chicken wings were good, um, and then I had well, I think we had the same thing: Mongolian beef. Yes, and um, we didn't share; we just happened to order the same. We thing. ordered the same thing, and the they um, the the menu in this place is a pretty lurid, comic book like uh, thing. Where it you, is. I was wondering if you were yeah. going to mention that. It's oh uh, yeah, no, I notice things even when I'm hungry, but. I know you're colorblind, um, and but I am it's colorblind. a very colorful menu. Yes, because even in my blindness, I can go, dear God, that must be horrible for you <laughs> sighted folk. Um, so it's brightly colored, and, and you basically can put together your meal by picking your spice level, your rice and or lo mein foundation. Yeah, it's very iconographic, so yes. you can drag a shrimp over there and move a chicken down here. And it, right, and then you know, get more yeah. chicken if you want, add some tofu, swap in a lo mein. You know, it's all good. You're basically building your own dinner. No substitution of rice. Apparently, if you're on the low carb, the only thing they can do with your rice is throw it out. They cannot bring you broccoli instead. <laughs> they can't bring you more meat instead. They can simply either give you rice or talk to you at length about the rice you do not have. Yes. Which I should have opted for. Mm-hmm. Much like I would pay $10 to someone to give me a nickname, That's I will right. pay a few dollars to someone to explain rice to me. Yes. Was it a nice fried rice? It was. Tell me about it. Well, it, you can tell by the sound it made as we threw it into the trash can because <laughs> bound by our own rules, we had to make it because it was part of your dinner. Yes. But because you didn't want it in yeah. your mercy... We had to dispose of it. And I dare say that this is one of those places, and I can't swear to this, but I would imagine that they probably make fried rice, if not when you order it, pretty darn often. Yes. I I don't see a big vat of rice like you see at some of the Chinese restaurants where they just keep scooping it out. I have no sense at all that there is stuff sitting around on a warmer and they scoop it out as they need it because everything came out hot. And it tasted fresh. And so, yes, they make it when you order it. And um, it is one of nature's delights, one of the delights of the world, in the carpe diem, to tie that back in, to to watch fried rice being made. Yes. If you've ever been to a Benihana, that sort of thing, where they start with white rice, some butter, vegetables, and some meat, some soy sauce, and at the end it's fried rice. It's magic. But that went in there, into the trash today. Because ketosis... Is better. Yes. That's what she had. And I had pretty much the same thing. Um, we really should have taken a picture. I apologize to the fans of the Sajcast that we didn't have a picture of the chicken wing plate. Well, and then, well, and I don't recall why that was, but 
I think the chicken wings had taken so long to come out that we were just like, ah, here they are. Yes, our earnest uh, eagerness to consume them. <laughs> Let us dispose of them post-haste. And, and kind of the amusing part was uh, when we ordered them. The uh, the ordering process was quite funny because I was I said, oh, we'll need some chicken wings. So I ordered two orders of chicken wings. And then you ordered an order of chicken wings. And so what we got was, you know, the chicken holocaust. Yes, it table. was. Uh, it was awful for the chickens. They just started killing birds as soon as uh, they got the order. And it was a giant plate of chicken wings. And they had to skewer them together to make them all fit in this mound. Yes, otherwise, they, yeah, they wouldn't because, stay together. Because they couldn't bring out two plates. Or three. <laughs> or three, which is what we'd ordered. They brought out a giant plate of skewered together chicken wings. And, well, again, they were fantastic. I can imagine Chef Chew in the back going, why do chickens not have more wings? <laughs> yes. Not enough. We have to kill 16 chickens to get enough wings for this. It was ridiculous. Well, I have a feeling they would find ways to reuse the chicken and other things. Hopefully. Not in our dishes. No. Because no, we uh, we had to mix chicken and beef. Um, Ameri-Asia. Curiously enough, they don't really have a website, so we're going to link to uh, an Urban Spoon article if you're ever in Covington, Kentucky. Uh, give them a look. Also, if you're like me, are uh, not fans of potentially being seated next to people you have nothing in common with and who might snag one of your chicken wings... Um, a lot of people apparently order takeout from there. Yeah, they do have a busy takeout service. Right. In fact, it's the first question they ask you. Are you here for takeout or are you eating in? I think that was just to discourage us from staying. That could very well be because... We did not the, look like hipsters. The follow-up to that is probably, oh, you're dining in? Okay, go over and sit here with Killer and Stingray. Oh. Well, we were sitting next to the uh, the women from the local elementary school or something. Yes, they were... They were uh, Hard partiers. They were there. a hard drinking group. As, they were through their as, second or third bottle of wine by the time we got there. I was going to say, as teachers often need to be, yes. uh, teaching is a difficult profession. Although in the summer, really? Well. Then well, maybe it's just they have a problem. Well, there's kids who go to summer school. That's okay. rough. All right. To kind of add briefly to that in the theme of Asian stuff and uh, the best stuff I had this week, as was uh, previously implied in the Sajcast, I've been on a low-carb diet. And I was in Toronto, uh, traveling on an expense account in a low-carb diet is actually not so bad. If you enjoy a big old steak, you know, you can go and get a big old steak, and as long as it's within reason, not the Morton's $200 big old steak, maybe. <laughs> That'd be harder to get by the expense report. But, you know, normal $23 steaks you can get away with pretty late. That wasn't what I wanted to talk about. I so not only do you travel and eat all around the world, but somebody else pays for it. Indeed. I'm writing that down. It is the beauty of having that particular job. Okay, then. It's why I've been on the road for so many years. And why I need to be on a low-carb diet. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to talk about a little place called Sushi Dragon, which is in Mississauga, Ontario, which is the town that holds uh, Pearson International Airport, the Toronto Airport, uh, which is where I was staying. Uh, the show was downtown in Toronto, but I couldn't get a room there. I was only there briefly... I decided it was kind of hot up there. Uh, this is uh, in the 30s, as they say, which is pretty warm. Um, warm enough that I thought I didn't want a hot dinner. And so I found a, a sushi joint. This one is called Sushi Dragon. And I ordered a boat of sashimi. So that's just lots and lots of raw fishes. And you can see a picture of it on the website. 
I think the odd thing, and I'll have to go back and look at the pictures, I don't remember any tuna on there, which is usually the staple, uh, red tuna anyway, of, of a sushi boat. But it was full of octopus and white tuna. Uh, there was a lot of snapper on there and many other delightful, cold, low-carb fishes. For the food porn section, I, I wanted to show the, the, the brilliant color that nature offers in, in the seas of all the, uh, the raw fishes in the world. So enjoy that if you're ever in Mississauga up and around the airport and you don't want any of the other things that they offer. There's uh, a thriving sushi concern. Uh, just down the road from the airport, uh, just down Airport Road, or Dixon, if you like, and called Sushi Dragon. It was fun. Uh, it was quiet. They had excellent green tea. Uh, I'd say if you're around, head in there and check that out. Also kind of a really small restaurant, um, not not spatially like uh, AmeriAsia, but just in terms of their web presence. So I don't know that we'll actually find uh, a link to them. But again, we'll we'll give you some directions to get there. And so I think we've come to the end of another Sajcast. Uh, and today's Sajcast was sponsored by the Linear, that's the Lincoln Near Earth Asteroid Research Laboratory, the fine people who brought us 23187, which nearly killed you all last year. And we thank them for their efforts. Mm-hmm.